Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to all those that are watching online and listening on Away FM. And uh, man, you guys in the room, isn't it good to be together? Yeah. I realize... uh, you know, sometimes gathering is not something we want to do because of the whatever, melancholy or whatever we're feeling. And then we get with people and go, wow, that's what I needed. I needed to be with people. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, we started this series last week called Rapid Response. And uh, we're using that title because it's a common term. We know who our rapid responders are, you know, our, our law enforcement, our firemen, uh, the EMTs, the people we want to show up when life happens, you know, and, and you, they, you can't wait for them to get there because you know they're always going to bring something you need and something good. And so our goal with this series is that as Christ followers, our rapid response should be the same, that when we show up, people that don't know Jesus, people in the world, our neighbors, the people around us should be expecting something good to happen And yet we know that's not always the case, but we want to see how we can get there and how we can be the rapid responders that honor God. And so last week, uh, Matt talked about anger, and I didn't think I was an angry person, but he convinced me I was, so uh, I'm I'm not upset about that. I'm just dealing with it. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about hate And then next week, Pastor Jimmy is going to talk about worry. And we're taking all of these from the Sermon on the Mount. I think it's the most important three chapters in the Bible. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to look at Matthew 5 a lot today if you'd like to follow along in the Bible or on your phone. Um, At the end of chapter 4, the last verse of chapter 4, it says, Large crowds were following Jesus every place he went. And then the first verse of chapter five says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. This is the first teaching we have recorded of Jesus with his disciples. And it's all about the kingdom. Jesus' favorite topic was the kingdom. He talked about the kingdom of God and he wasn't talking about someday when we get to be in heaven. He's talking about the church, his kingdom that he came to establish. And so right off the bat, in the early part of his ministry, He takes three chapters and he says, okay, this is what it means. If you want to follow me, you need to be aware of this because this is the kingdom. This is how we live. This is how we operate. This is how we speak the name of Jesus to people. And so he gives us the first 16 verses, some attitudes we're supposed to have. And and then in verse 17, he he says, you know, I didn't come to abolish the law. I I mean, he didn't want them thinking, oh, God messed up till now, and now we're going to get it right. He said, I didn't come to abolish that. I came to fulfill it. I want you to see that God has one plan throughout time, and that the plan was through the ages, the covenant, old covenant, now is a new covenant, and we're just going to continue in that. <clears throat> and then he talks about six topics that there seemed to be a misunderstanding on in their religious world. And topic number one was anger. And before each topic, he said, you have heard it said. Or maybe you've heard it said, or maybe you have read, or you've heard that. And what he was saying was, the religious leaders have been giving you partial truths. They're big on the letter of the law, but I come in the kingdom, I want you to know the spirit of the law. I want you to know why we live the way we live. 
So he goes through those six topics, and we want to talk about the last one this morning in verse 43 of Matthew 5, where he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of the Father in heaven. So this morning, we want to talk about how do we keep our rapid response to borrow a term from Matt last week, becoming a rabid response of hate. And I know right off the bat, all of us as Christians go, well, we don't hate anybody. Well, you wouldn't know it by your Facebook page. And I've heard, you know, I listen, I hear some of your attitudes and some of the things you say, and there's a lot of haters in the church. And uh, we just wanna look at how do we get away from that? I don't wanna be a hater, and I realize at times I am. And it doesn't honor God, and it, I step out of the kingdom you know, if I want to speak Jesus, I can't speak Jesus with hate. So how do we get to a point where we can honor God with that? And what makes it more confusing is I can justify my hate in the Bible. Psalm 97 says, the love of the Lord is to hate evil. See, the more I hate, the more I love Jesus. See, I can justify that. Proverbs 6 says that there are seven things that God hates. And I'm like, if there are seven things God hates, there's at least seven things I hate. They're just not always the same things, which is not good. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to love and a time to hate, and sometimes we jump more to the time to hate than we do the time to love. But then I get the Apostle John in the New Testament, and he says, listen, anyone who hates their brother is a murderer. Then he says, if you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor, you're a liar. So I'm like confused about this whole hate thing. And then I realized that when I look at what the religious leaders were saying, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was never said in the Bible. There's no place in the Old Testament. I did a series a few years ago, you remember where it said the Bible doesn't say that? The Bible doesn't say hate your enemy and love your neighbor. But that's what they were teaching and what they were doing, they were taking some ancient instruction of God and really messing with it to get to hate your enemy. When God took the Israelites into the promised land, he told them, he said, I want you to annihilate all the Canaanites before you get there. They're evil. Well, they didn't do that, but they told that. Well, see, God said. And then God told them, when you move in there, don't have anything to do with the Amatites and the Parasites and the Hittites and the Bugbites and all the different tribes that, that were there. He said, don't have anything to do with them. Don't intermarry with them. But they did. But by Jesus' time, they were saying, God told us only to like Israelites. We only have to love. Our neighbor is only someone like us. So anybody that's not like us, we're allowed to hate them because they're the enemy. So if somebody looks like me and thinks like me and talks like me and lives like me, you know, and from the same place I am, then they're my neighbor and I love them. But everybody else, I have a right to hate. Sound familiar? Sound a little bit like the culture we're in right now? And Jesus says, that's not true. He said, I tell you, that may be the way it is in the world, but if you want to live in the kingdom, then you love your neighbor, or you love your enemy, and you pray for those who persecute you. And if we're going to be rapid responders to a world that really needs Jesus, then hate can't be part of it. 
And I know, again, we like to say we don't hate. Let me give you a, fa- a few hate indicators, okay? I'm just gonna mention a few things. If you wanna put your finger on your pulse and see if it goes up. The political party that sits across the aisle from you. Some of you, hate just came out right there. <laughs> Different religions than yours. I'm not talking about the Methodists and the Baptists. Talk about the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists. Different economic groups, different races, people with different gender preferences. You know how I know we hate? Because we usually refer to people in those categories as them or those people. And then we throw out the line that says, I don't hate the sinner, I just hate the sin. I call bogus on that. Because I've never seen anybody actually live that out. They just like to hate. And the churchy way of getting away with it is to say, I just hate the sin. I, I love the sinner. No, you don't. Or you'd be out there with the sinner trying to help them find Jesus. And so Jesus says, listen, it's a different world in the kingdom. And you wanna know why the church isn't making a difference? Because we hate like everybody else. And he says, you've heard it said, That's just not true. And then he goes on, he says, uh, verse 45, so that you can be sons of your father in heaven. He says, love your enemies so that you can be sons of the father, so that God's not ashamed of us. Man, you ever been out with your kids and just wish they weren't yours? (laughs) Obviously so, huh? You're just kinda like, man, I wish they were at a different table, a different restaurant, (laughs) a different city. You know, you're just like, oh man, it's such an embarrassment being with these kids. You think God ever looks at me and you and feels the same way? When he goes, you said you were gonna be my follower. You're not supposed to hate. You're not supposed to have that kind of words toward people, that kind of heart for people. That's just destroying one of them. You want that to be a rapid response? No, don't show up and tell them you're a Christian. Not if you're gonna be that way. At the end of that passage in verse 48, he says, be perfect as your father is perfect and hate is not a part of that. But as we think, it becomes our words, it becomes our actions. And it's not a family trait of Christ followers. So how do we get away from that? How do we become people that love our enemy while you're sitting there defending your hate and going, well, Gary, that'd be nice, but you don't know my enemies. (laughs) You don't know mine either, but I'm working on it. How do we move? Well, he tells us those first 16 verses. He gives us three actions and he gives us a priority and then he gives us three results from that. And then if we would live that life, he says, then you can speak Jesus. When you show up as a rapid responder, people are gonna love that you showed up. So the first one, he starts there in verse three. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This has nothing to do with money. He's not talking about people that don't have things. Notice he says, poor in spirit. This is the beginning place. He says, this is where it all starts in the kingdom. If you don't have the proper spirit, you can't even get in the kingdom. The proper spirit, the poor spirit is to say, I'm a sinner that needs a savior. The thing that prompts hate is arrogance and selfishness. And if we can't have the proper perspective of ourselves, we'll never have the proper perspective of other people. And Jesus says the first thing, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom. And he goes, that's how it starts. It's your 
perspe- uh, perception of yourself. And it's not one of those walk around, oh, I'm just a worm, I'm no good. It's not that. It's just a, a reality of like, man, I am nothing without God, but because of him, I'm his son. Uh, I'm redeemed, I'm saved, I'm forgiven. And that doesn't give me arrogance, that just gives me joy. Just blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the first action that we take to begin to be a rapid responder to other people. The second action then, he says, and these are all in progression. These are intentional. These are in order. These aren't random things Jesus throw out so people could have cool plaques hanging in their house. He said, the second one is, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. It has nothing to do with sadness over losing a family member or something like that. Because if you have the proper spirit, if you have a poor spirit before God, why do you mourn? You mourn your sin. You mourn your sin because that's, that's what you're, you're aware of now. If you have the proper spirit, you're aware of your sin that offends God and you mourn that. And he said, blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted because when I have the proper spirit and I'm sorrowful about my sin, God says, but I forgive you and you're my child and there's comfort in that. So I have the proper spirit. I mourn my sin. The third action he said is just to walk in meekness, not weakness, meekness. While being poor in spirit is about how I see myself, meekness is about how I see everybody else. And so in meekness, I don't have to prove anything. I know who I am in God and I can love everybody. I don't have to argue. I don't have to defend. When somebody says, Gary, you're a mess, I can say, you don't know the half of it. Because I, got, I don't have to bow up. I got nothing to prove. I'm walking in meekness because of my relationship with God. He said, those three things change everything in the kingdom. Because he said, when those three actions, when you get up every morning and say, God, I want to have the right spirit today. Thank you of who I am in you. I know it's not me. Man, I'm a mess. But thank you for your forgiveness and for your grace. God, even if I think about sin today, stop me. You know, when it gets in my head, just smack me and say, Gary, what are you thinking about that for? You're supposed to be sorrowful about your sin. Don't let me even act on it. And God, I'm going to walk with meekness today. May everybody I see, I see them through your eyes. May I see their value that you created them. And he says, then the priorities is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they'll be filled. Hunger and thirst for the right things, to wanna do the right things because it invites God into our story. When we're out there wanting to do the right things because our attitudes are right from those first three, the more things we do to seek after the right things, the more we see God step in. And I've seen that so much this last couple of weeks since the storm. Jimmy posted on Facebook. I love that Jimmy, Jimmy takes the time to post these great stories. I have great stories. I just don't post them. And, and I, I wish I'd write them down because God's doing some amazing things. Jimmy posted last week, somebody gave the church, uh, I think we had like 250 gallons worth of gas in five gallon cans. So we're just taking and giving it out when generators were running. You know, isn't it amazing how it changes in a week? You know, we got so used to generators, we're trying to find that sound so we can sleep to it now. So it's like, download that on my phone but Jimmy's driving around and he's handing out gas and he goes to a neighborhood that had really been hit hard and he pulls in the neighborhood and there's a guy there and he says hey you need gas the guy's like oh and use language that Jimmy told me to use but I'm not going to (laughs) and Matt used it last week if you remember the f word he used a lot faith fear that Uh, but then so Jimmy drives on and he sees uh, another couple Vince and Linda an older couple, and they're dragging everything out of their house. They lost everything. Jimmy pulls up, and he says, you need any gas? And the guy goes, how much is that going to cost me? 
Jimmy says, well, nothing. People that don't live here sent money and got gas, and we're just driving around giving it out. And Linda just starts crying. And uh, Jimmy said, then Vince kind of leaned over and started weeping. And he said, I just asked her if God had forgotten us. And he said, then you mean to tell me, <laughs> and actually he said, how the, you fill in the blank, did God know? And he said, then you pull up and tell me people that don't even live here gave you money so you could buy gas and bring it to me. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God steps into your story. When you walk with those first attitudes, he steps into your story and you get to see that kind of stuff all the time. Chris Johnson's a friend of mine, goes to church, Chris and Lisa, and he called me yesterday morning. Chris has got a heart to help people like crazy. And he's out there and he's helping people. And he called me and he said, hey, we're just seeing all these mattresses. And Lisa and I think, man, we wanna, we're gonna find the 15 or 20 grand it takes, whatever, but we wanna buy mattresses for people when they're ready to put them back in their house. We wanna buy the bed. So I'm trying to find a line on mattresses and beds and all that and, and how we need to do that. He said, just if you, if you hear anything or if you can think through that process, let me know. I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll begin to pray about that. I know Mr. Pillow was in town this week with a truckload of pillows, but I don't know about mattresses. So I get a text last night, and Chris and Lisa bought tickets like eight months ago for uh, Hard Rock in, in Fort Lauderdale for a concert. They tried to sell them all week. If you're their friends on Facebook, they really didn't want to go because of the storm, but nobody bought them, so they felt like they needed to drive over to the concert. He texted me last night, and he said, the people sitting next to me at the concert were born in Port Charlotte, but live in Estero now. And the people sitting next to them is the guy who's in charge of providing mattresses for City Mattress. And he leaned over and asked me, hey, you know, we're thinking people in Fort Myers might need some mattresses. Is that anything you would wanna work with? When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God shows up. And he begins to work in our lives. And then God says, so here's these three actions. And then here's this priority, rightness every day, rightness in everything we say, rightness in everything we think, rightness in everything we do. And God then steps in our story and he says, now you wanna know what the outcome's gonna be? He said, blessed are the merciful. You know what it takes to show mercy? You gotta have a, a poor spirit. Because you can't show mercy if you're arrogance. If I think I'm all that and God's lucky for me to be on his team, if I think I'm better than other people because I go to church or because I've been going to church a long time and I know songs they don't know, or but if I think I'm better than people that I see out there, I'll never show mercy. But if I have the proper spirit in my heart, then I will be merciful to the people I come across. Then he says, blessed are the pure in heart because they'll see God. You know how you have a pure heart? You mourn your sin. Because if I can develop a habit of every time I think of sin, if every time I think a hateful thought, an angry thought, if every time I think of something that would offend God and embarrass him, if I can catch that and say, God, man, that breaks my heart, my heart would be pure. And we hate to say that because we feel that's a little arrogant, isn't it? To say, well, I have a pure heart. Well, it is if you say it that way. But to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm pure in heart. But God says, I can make you pure in heart. If you'll let me, if you'll mourn your sin, then there's a purity that comes not because of who we are, but because of what God does. And you know what he says, the promise of that? Blessed are the pure in heart because they'll what? They'll see God. Because when our heart is pure and concerned about other people and, and, sorrow, and we're just living in the kingdom every day the best way we can, we start to see God show up in those moments. And the next 
outcome. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know how you be a peacemaker? You figured this out from now, haven't you? Meekness. If you don't walk in meekness, you can't be a peacemaker. You're always in an argument. You're always defending your position. You're always trying to put somebody in their place and tell them. But when you can walk in meekness, you can be a peacemaker. And then the promise, God likes being your dad. He'll even brag on you. Say, blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be known as the sons of God. God goes, that's my kid, that peacemaker. He says, when that happens, you become the rapid response that he wants for the kingdom. When we live that life, when we make that a part of our daily transition, our daily, Romans said, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When we do that on a daily basis and we're saying, God, this is how I wanna live and this is how I wanna serve and I'm gonna pursue righteousness, he says, then you'll be the salt. But then he reminds them that if salt loses its saltiness, if you think you can be salt and hate, if you think you can be salt and be angry, if you think you can be salt and live this other life, then it's not good for anything except to be thrown out. But if you want to live this kingdom life, if you want to live with the attitudes and actions and words, and you just want to speak Jesus to people like I want you to and make a difference, he said, then you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Nobody takes a light and sticks it under a bowl. They put it on a stand in the middle of the room so that everybody can see. In the same way, you so let your light shine that by your good deeds, people will praise the Father. He said, that's how you be a rapid responder that speaks Jesus to people. That's when every time you show up, people go, I'm glad they're here. I'm glad they showed up because you're speaking life into them when that's who we are. So what do we do this week? How do we make that happen? Three things, okay? Three action steps. Number one, quit justifying your hate. Quit justifying your hate. Quit having those people in your conversations. Quit ranting and raving about somebody that disagrees with you because of your arrogance and self-superior feelings. Until we're willing to humble ourselves and realize anything like that is not of God. It's not of the spirit of God. So this week, just try to, you know, if I say who's your enemy, whoever just jumped in your head, quit trying to justify them being your enemy. But trying to justify your hate. It gets harder. Number two, start praying for God to bless those people. Start praying for God to provide for those people. Start praying that God just pours his love into them in amazing ways for those people that you would have considered an enemy. Number three, just live the kingdom life. There's no better life the anxiety, the anxiousness, the baggage that comes from hating people just tears us down and Satan loves us. But when we can step into the kingdom and we can say, man, I'm gonna walk each day with the proper spirit and with, man, I don't wanna sin. And when I do, it's gonna break my heart and I wanna walk with meekness and hunger, right? I wanna be merciful. And man, I just wanna have a pure heart and be a peacemaker and be a light and be salt and make a difference and speak Jesus into people's name. God, write into my story. There's no better life than that. And we don't live in a better time to do that. So rapid responders, that's what God needs. That's what people, that's what your neighbor needs. And now we get to go be and speak Jesus to them. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity of it. I thank you for the the energy of it, the excitement of it. God, that you would take us as messed up as we are and invite us to be in your kingdom. Thank you for your patience with us. God, transform us. Remove the hate from us. Confront us with it when we try to make excuses for it. God, may the people that are around us see us as people of hope and joy and love. In Jesus' name we pray. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.